Chapter Nine of Godliness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. Godliness by Catherine Booth. Chapter Nine: How to Work for God with Success. Son, go work today in my vineyard. Matthew chapter twenty-one verse twenty-eight. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Luke chapter fourteen verse twenty-three. I am to speak of some needful qualifications for successful labor, and I say, first, that there are certain laws which govern success in the kingdom of grace as well as in the kingdom of nature, and you must study these laws and adapt yourself to them. It would be vain for the husbandman to scatter his seed over the unbroken ground or on preoccupied soil. You must plough and harrow and put your seed in carefully and in proper proportion and at the right time and then you must water and weed and wait for the harvest just so in divine things oh we shall find out by and by that the laws of the spiritual kingdom are quite as certain and unerring in their operation as the laws of the natural kingdom and perhaps a great deal more so but through the blindness and obtuseness and unbelief of our hearts we could not or would not find them out people get up and fluster about and expect to be able to work for god without any thought or care or trouble for the learning of earthly professions they will give years of labor and thought but in work for god they do not seem to think it worth while to take the trouble to think and ponder to plan and experiment to try means to pray and wrestle with god for wisdom oh no they will not be at the trouble then they fail grow discouraged and give up now my friends this is not the way to begin work for god begin as soon as you like begin at once but begin in the right way begin by praying much for him to show you how and to equip you for the work and begin in a submissive humble teachable spirit study the new testament with special reference to this and you will be surprised how every page of it will give you increased light you will see that God holds you absolutely responsible for every iota of capacity and influence he has given you, that he expects you to improve every moment of your time, every faculty of your being, every particle of your influence, and every penny of your money for him. When you once get this light, it will be a marvellous guide in all the other particulars and ramifications of your life. Study your plans. How men in earthly warfare study plans of stratagem and adopt all manner of measures in order that they may take the enemy by surprise. But alas, how little care and attention God's people give to taking souls. And yet it is far harder work to take souls than it is to take cities. How surprised I have often been at the assumption of people who perhaps never gave one hour's consecutive thought in their lives to the best means of doing certain work and yet they will pronounce an opinion right off as to certain modes and measures which have been tried and proved successful in the lives of some of the most successful labourers for god they will say oh i don't believe in it oh it is all nonsense ridiculous wrong while perhaps those people whom they condemn have been pleading and weeping and studying and experimenting and almost sacrificing their heart's blood to try to find out the best means of winning souls for christ I shall never forget the shock that came over me once in a large gathering of Christian people, when a gentleman, who occupied a somewhat prominent position, was giving out a hymn which contained a verse, something about spending one hour in watching with Jesus. He stopped in the middle of this hymn, and said words to this effect, I am afraid we are verily guilty here. I do not know that I dare say I ever watched one consecutive hour with Jesus in my life. 
I shall never forget it. My cheeks burned with shame. I said, Oh, my God, if these are the leaders, we need not wonder at the people. A man occupying such a position to dare to say it. The Lord have mercy on him. No wonder the Lord's work is done in such a bungling way. I say those who want to be successful in winning souls require to watch not only days but nights. They want much of the Holy Ghost, for it is true still, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. We have grown wiser than our Lord nowadays, but I tell you it is the same old-fashioned way, and if you want to pour out living waters upon souls, either publicly or privately, you will have to drink largely at the fountain yourself, and have them very ready to let out. If you have not, your talk will be as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Oh, it makes my soul weep tears of blood to think of the misdirected effort that will be put forth this very Christian Sabbath. Plenty of labour, but how little comes of it, all because it is cramped and ruined and misdirected for want of thought and prayer and a single eye for the salvation of souls. May God rouse us up to this and make us willing to think and labour and learn and wrestle and sacrifice in order that we may do it. Then further, the second qualification for successful labour is power to get the truth home to the heart. Not to deliver it. I wish the word had never been coined in connection with Christian work. Deliver it indeed. That is not in the Bible. No, no, not deliver it, but drive it home. Send it in. Make it felt. That is your work. Not merely to say it. Not quietly and gently to put it before the people. Here is just the difference between a self-consuming, soul-burdened Holy Ghost, successful ministry, and a careless, happy-go-lucky, easy sort of thing that just rolls it out like a lesson and goes home, holding itself in no way responsible for the consequences. Here is all the difference, either in public or individual labour. God has made you responsible, not for delivering the truth, but for getting it in, getting it home, fixing it in the conscience as a red-hot iron, as a bolt straight from his throne. And he has placed at your disposal the power to do it. And if you do not do it, blood will be on your skirts. Oh, this genteel way of putting the truth, how God hates it. If you please, dear friends, will you listen? If you please, will you be converted? Will you come to Jesus? Or shall we read just this, that, and the other? no more like apostolic preaching than darkness is like light god says go and do it compel them to come in that is your work i have nothing to do with the measures by which you do it providing they are lawful use just the same diligence earnestness and determination that you would if you were resolutely set on any human project and always be sure that i will be with you to the end of the world never doubt my presence when you are set on my business i will be with you and i will succeed you do it. The Lord help us to get the truth home. This was the way with Paul, and this was the way with Jesus. Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, what a beautiful insight this gives us into the ministry. Why do you persuade men, Paul? Because I know the terror of the Lord that is coming on, and because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. Therefore I persuade men. He did not give up when he had put it before them. He carried them on in his heart, and he says, That by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. He wept it in, as well as drove it in, with his logic and his eloquence and with the power of the Holy Ghost in him. Make it go in, make your words felt, 
don't talk to them in that sickly languid way that makes no impression make them know it if you have not enough of the holy ghost for this go to your closet till you have and then come and drive the word home to their conscience as a two-edged sword dividing asunder soul and spirit the second thing indispensable to success is simplicity naturalness in putting the truth you have not only to get it home but in order to do this give it them simply and naturally if i were asked to put into one word what i consider the greatest obstacle to the success of divine truth even when uttered by sincere and real people i should say stiffness it seems as if people the moment they come to religion assume a different tone a different look and manner in short become unnatural people sometimes come to me and say oh i would give the world to be natural but i have got into this way of talking to people it seems as though i cannot be natural can you help me i say yes i can help you by this advice determine by the help of god that you will break the neck of this bondage i will tell you how to begin begin with your family break right off in the middle of conversation on earthly matters and begin to talk about their souls or your own experience or drop down on your knees and begin to pray oh but it will be such a break it should not be a break to talk of your father if you are in the spirit of it there will be no break this will help you more than anything else determine that you will overcome this sanctimoniousness which is the curse of a great deal of the religion of this day we want sanctified humanity not sanctimoniousness you want to talk to your friends in the same way about religion as you talk about earthly things if a friend is in difficulties and he comes to you you do not begin talking in a circumlocutory manner about the general principles on which men can secure prosperity and the sad mistakes of those who have not secured it you come straight to the point and if you feel for him you take him by the buttonhole or put your hand in his and say my dear fellow i am very sorry for you is there any way in which i can help you if you have a friend afflicted with a fatal malady and you see it and he does not you don't begin to descant on the power of disease and the way people may secure health but you say my dear fellow i am afraid this hacking cough is more serious than you think and that flush on your cheek is a bad sign i am afraid you are ill let me counsel you to seek advice that is the way people talk about earthly things now do exactly so about spiritual things if your friend is a spiritual bankrupt tell him so tell him where he is going and that the reckoning day is coming and that he will be in god's prison house very soon and that if the creditor once gets hold of him and shuts him up he will never get out till he has paid the uttermost farthing if your friend has a spiritual disease tell him so and deal just as straight and earnestly with him as you would about his body tell him you are praying for him and the very concern that he reads in your eyes will wake him up and he will begin to think it is time he was concerned about himself try to attain this simple easy natural way of appealing to people about their souls i believe if all real christians would attain this and act upon it this country would be shaken from end to end thirdly you must be in earnest desperate i would like to say and indeed friends settle this as a truth that you will never make any other soul realize the verities of eternal things any further than you realize them yourself you will beget in the soul of your hearer exactly the degree of realization which the spirit of god gives to you and no more therefore if you are in a dreamy cosy half-asleep condition you will only beget the same kind of realization in the souls who hear you you must be wide awake quick alive feeling deeply in sympathy with the truth you utter or it will produce no result 
here is the reason why we have such a host of stillborn, sinewless, rickety, powerless spiritual children. They are born of half-dead parents, a sort of sentimental religion which does not take hold of the soul, which has no depth of earth, no grasp, no power in it, and the result is a sickly crop of sentimental converts. Oh, the Lord give us a real, robust, living, hardy Christianity, full of zeal and faith, which shall bring into the kingdom of God lively, well-developed children, full of life and energy, instead of these poor sentimental ghosts that are hopping around us. Oh, friends, we want this vivid realization ourselves. If we have it, we shall beget it in others. Oh, get hold of God. Ask Him to baptize you with His Spirit till the zeal of His house eats you up. This spirit will burn his way through all obstacles of flesh and blood, of forms, proprieties, and respectabilities, of death and rottenness of all descriptions. He will burn his way through and produce living and telling results in the hearts of those to whom you speak. Earnestness, such earnestness that it comes to desperation, like that of Paul, who counted all things but dross, yea, and who counted not his life dear unto him. That was the secret. He counted not his life nor anything that constitutes life, liberty, pleasure, enjoyment, friends, reputation, ease, etc., all on the altar, all was in the scale. He counted none of those things dear unto him, so that he might win the perfection, the fullness of Christ in his own soul, and the salvation of the souls around him. Oh, what a laughing stock to hell is the light, frivolous, easy, lukewarm professor! Oh, what a shame and puzzle to the angels in heaven, and what a supreme disgust to God! I would thou wert hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Oh, what will that be? Talk about shame! Think of that! Shame! Some of you feel it going into the streets for God. You feel it when a few people see you kneel down here. Think of being spewed out of the mouth of God before an assembled universe. What will that be? God helping me, I will avoid that. I will sooner hang with Jesus on the cross between two thieves than I will bear that shame. I would thou wert hot or cold. Some of you say in your letters that you will have this wholeheartedness. You say that you have given up all and that you are consecrating yourself to a life of labor. Now be hot. I know you will burn the fingers of the Pharisees. Never mind that. I know you will fire their consciences like Samson's foxes did the corn. Never mind that. Be hot. God likes hot saints. Be determined that you will be hot. They will call you a fool. They did Paul. They will call you a fanatic and say, This fellow is a troubler of Israel. But you must reply, It is not I, but ye in your father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Turn the charge upon them. Hot people are never a trouble to hot people. The hotter we are, the nearer we get, and the more we love one another. It is the cold people that are troubled by the hot ones. The Lord help you to be hot. Then, another indispensable condition is the surrendering of all our powers. There must be no holding back. Cursed be he that holdeth back his sword from blood. That curse is resting on Christendom today. Oh, they will thrust the sword a little way in, but they will not go into the core. They dare not draw blood, the soldiers of this age, for their lives. They dare not touch a man to the quick, because, alas, they are looking to themselves and thinking what people will say of them, instead of what God will say of them. You must not be afraid of blood if you are to be a true warrior of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you must not be afraid to say if need be o generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come you must not be afraid to say if need be you have made my father's house a den of thieves if you save some of them by doing it oh this accursed sycophancy i was going to say this accursed fear to brave the censure of the world this accursed making good evil and evil good as if god were altogether such a one as ourselves don't you think he sees through the vile sham oh my friends if we don't mend in this respect he will come in judgment before long and we shall find out then the difference between the precious and the vile if we do not find out before if you want to be a successful worker you must make up your minds to begin with that you will be crucified as a dear minister once said to somebody when he was arguing with him about being so hard in the pulpit i don't care oh said the other don't you know what became of don't care yes he said he was crucified and i am ready to be crucified alongside of him when you are in the right don't care you can but be crucified and soon it will be over and then the book says they that suffer with him will also reign with him and they shall be glorified together it would be a wonderful thing to be glorified alone but i'll think of being glorified together a gentleman said lately i have been thinking a great deal about the glory it is a wonderful thing that glory that is to follow this would be worth a man sitting on the dunghill all his life to obtain and i looked at him and thought perhaps you are nearer to it than you think and perhaps i am too oh it is a wonderful thing that glory that is to follow then let us be willing to suffer with him and for him make up your mind to be crucified at the start and then it will be easy further complete abandonment is a condition of successful labour it is so in anything what would you think of a soldier who was always reckoning how much it was to cost and when he should get back or whether it was worth the sacrifice you would say he is of no use to the british army we want men who will go in to win at all costs now god wants men and women who will go in to win who believe in winning who know they have the power to win and who count all things loss in comparison to winning do you want success if you do not come to that first you will never get it fourthly you must give up kick out of the way trample under foot all that hinders reputation perhaps there are some ministers here there were some last sunday and there were some the sunday before some of you have written and others have talked to me you say it would be such an entire breaking from one circle exactly some say you see the inevitable consequences of setting up this high standard would be a constant running of the sword into some of your best hearers and your best friends exactly that is giving your sword to blood you would not think much of drawing the blood of an enemy it is the blood of your friends that is the test i know all about it i have been there i was there a long while once it was my own sore spot the devil said if you begin preaching they will call you an impudent woman and i felt it would be better almost to go to hell than to have that said about me he said they will put you in the newspapers and say all manner of coarse and vulgar things about you and god only knows what that was to my soul but i battled and struggled with it for a long while until i said at last lord i don't care what they call me i give myself to thee to win souls have i ever regretted it shall i ever regret it no he will take care of your reputation give it up to him my brother the scribes and the pharisees never had anything good to say of jesus coming in the flesh give up your reputation follow him 
if it must be, decide to go after him to Gethsemane, to Golgotha, and the cross. Never mind. Follow him. Give up your reputation. Then, your habits. How ashamed some of you will be who have made the mere Paris-born frivolities of society stand in the way of your consecration to Christ. And yet, people who do this say they are Christians. I don't know. I cannot believe it. There is drinking. They will have a glass of wine. Very well, you can have it, but you shall not have the wine of the kingdom. Professors will dress like the prostitute of Paris. Very well, but they shall not be the bride of the Lamb. He will not walk in the streets with them, nor sit at the same table. You can go to parties where it is said there are only religious people, but where you know all manner of gossip and Christless chit-chat is going on, which you would be awfully ashamed the master should hear, and from which you retire with no appetite for prayer. You can go to all this, but I defy you to have the Holy Ghost at the same time. I won't stop to argue it. I only know you cannot do it. All that will have to be put aside and given up. You say, that is a sore point. Yes, I know, that is driving the sword to blood. Fifthly, you must consecrate your money to be used for God. I once heard an old veteran saint say, and I thought it was extravagant at the time, I consider the use of money the surest test of a man's character. I thought, no, surely his use of his wife and children is a surer test than that. But I have lived to believe his sentiment. Hence, you see how human experience justifies divine wisdom. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it is, in one form or other. God never uses anybody largely until they have given up their money. I simply state a fact. We know it is so, by experience in the history of God's people. You must give up your money as an end, saving it for its own sake, or the gratification of your selfish purposes or those of your children. It must be all given to God, to whom it belongs, being entirely used in His service. If you want to be a successful labourer for souls, you will have to do that at the threshold. Give up your money to the Lord. If you think it right to keep some of it, keep it to use it for Him as you go. Be as strict with yourself to your Heavenly Father as you would be with your secretary or clerk to yourself, and then you will be all right. It is a narrow and difficult path. I tremble for you who have got it, and I am glad I have not. But as you have got it, I give you the best advice I know. It is an awful thing to have it, but the next best thing is to consecrate it and use it for his glory. And if you do not, it will eat into your soul as doth a canker. To your spiritual nature, it will be as a cancer is to your physical nature. They are Paul's words, not mine. I must say a word about the reward. You think I am always driving you to do. Yes, because you need it. The Lord knows I do not find you do any too much. Some of you I am heartily ashamed of. Some of you need driving so that you ought to thank God for the rod. Paul says, Shall I come unto you with the rod? He was obliged to do it with some people. It is not an enviable thing to have to do, but we dare not, when God sets us work to do, shirk it. But there is a bright side. There is the reward. What? You say, Does he pay you? Yes, good wages, pressed down and heaped together. He says, The man who remembereth the poor... Do you think he means only their bodies? I will remember him. I will make his bed, what a tender illusion, in his sickness. He will shake it up, spread his feathers on the pillows as no earthly nurse, not even the tenderest wife, can do. I will make his bed in his sickness. You will want him then, brother. You are very independent, some of you now, but you will want him then. 
I will make his bed in sickness. I will put underneath him my everlasting arms. He will cause you to triumph in the swellings of Jordan. That will be grand, will it not? He will give you a triumphant entrance into his kingdom, those of you who have gone out in loving solicitude and anxious sympathy to labor for the souls of your fellow men. He will administer unto you an abundant entrance. And then what? He will give you children, and the barren woman shall have more children than she that hath a husband. Oh, the whole world is akin here. Every man and woman wants children. They are especially a heritage from the Lord. Nothing can make up for the want of children. The poorest parents living in the humblest hut would not sell you their children. And the rich man who has twenty thousand a year would give it for a son or daughter when he cannot have one. All human beings want children. Now then, the Lord will give you children. A mother, even a sanctified mother, I suppose, cannot help feeling proud, or rather, glad and thankful, when she shows good, obedient and godly children to her friends. I do not believe that God wants to grind this out of us. I believe he delights in it himself, just as he delighted to show his servant Job to the devil. Hast thou considered my servant Job? Ah, was he not proud of him? And he has been proud of him ever since. God has put this feeling in us, and it is a right feeling when it is sanctified. We cannot help but be proud of godly and obedient children. But what will it be to show your spiritual children to the angels? How shall you feel when you gather the spiritual family which God has given you round the throne of your Saviour, and say, Here am I and the children whom thou hast given me, the children won through conflict and trial and strife, such as only God knew? children begotten in bonds as paul says chains children born in the midst of the hurricane of spiritual conflict travail and suffering and cradled rocked fed nurtured and brought up at infinite cost and rack of brain and heart and soul but now here we are lord we are here through it all here am i and the children whom thou hast given me how shall you feel shall you be sorry for the trouble shall you regret the sacrifice shall you murmur at the way he has led you shall you think he might have made it a little easier as you are sometimes tempted to do now oh no no the children the children you shall have children won't that be reward enough oh sometimes when i am passing through conflict and trial in connection with a work which brings plenty of it behind the scenes i encourage myself in the lord and remember those who have gone home sending me their salutations from the verge of the river telling me they will wait and look out for me and be the first to hand me to the saviour when i get there will not this be reward enough even so lord amen End of chapter nine